In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. This is the fourth Sunday of Baba, and today's gospel tells of one of the uh, many stories uh, in the Holy Bible regarding God raising people from the dead. Um, there are many instances recorded in the, in the Bible about this. Uh, this isn't the first time, and it wasn't the last time in scriptures that it was mentioned as well. We may recall that the widow of Zephariah's son raised by Elijah the Shumanite uh, woman's son raised by Elisha in 2 Kings, the Israelite man who uh, died and rolled down and touched the bones of Elisha, and by touching the relics or bones of Elisha, he rose from the dead. Our Lord Jesus Christ, of course, rose himself from the dead. Uh, Tabitha was raised by St. Peter in the name of Jesus Christ, and Eutychus was also raised by St. Paul in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, these are recorded in the Bible. Who knows how many others, of course, that were um, raised from the dead. We know that Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the Gospels rose three people from the dead. Today's uh, Gospel, which is the raising of the widow who lost her husband and now she loses her son and God raised him from the dead. We know that the ruler of the synagogue's daughter was raised from the dead and, of course, Lazarus, which we read a few months ago. The impact of, of these kind of miracles uh, of God, of Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, raising the uh, uh, dead from the dead and bringing them back to life again, these miracles had a huge impact on the society that was there at the time. Uh, they were done with great evidence and openly in front of everyone. Uh, Christ had, as the gospel reads today, Christ had a large uh, entourage with him. He had a large group that was following him. And then there was also a very large group with the uh, that were in the procession on the way to bury this poor young man. So combined, it was a very large group. And so God, um, when he saw this uh, uh, together, even though he wasn't asked, uh, he approached them and touched the coffin. So it says, when they saw the young man sit up, who was once dead and began to speak, there was no denying the miracle. So he didn't just get up and, and kind of just walk around or something. He began to speak. So they knew that he was dead and and they knew that he was alive again without any kind of doubt um, that he indeed did this great miracle. Then it says, Then fear came upon all and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us. God has visited his people and the report of him went throughout all Judea and the surrounding region. When Christ rose somebody from the dead, it, it caused this great impact on the society, and many, many believed. It was one of those amazing miracles in Scripture that causes us great wonder and fear um, when we see something like this, because no one in human history has ever rose people from the dead before, but yet our Lord does it multiple times. But besides being in wonder at these miracles, they point to even greater truths, because he didn't just do these or other miracles of healings or with nature or with cursing the fig tree. He didn't just do those for the sake of the miracle themselves, but to inspire us, right? Or to increase our understanding and to cause positive and long-lasting impacts and changes in our life. Because miracles have different impacts on different people in different ways. Some don't even notice the miracles. Miracles that point to God's existence and providence that occur every day in our lives um, and we sometimes have to pause and, and wonder at it, right? But sometimes we overlook these kind of miracles. And you may think for yourselves, you know, what kind of miracles do you consider every day just getting to church here today? Um, uh, my son and I were driving and we got pulled over by the police. And uh, I was speeding. I'll have to confess in front of all of you. And, uh, and so he pulled us over. And, you know, as he was writing the ticket, he got a call. 
because I was worried about being late. He got a call and he had to, he said, sorry, I have a call. Just be careful next time. And he took off. Right. I mean, that was, we thank God for that. Right. And it was those little miracles you have to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> um, the miracle of creation around us. Right. When we pause and think about the world and how he created, uh, you know, the universe and, and the galaxies and the multiple galaxies and multiple universes. Now that people are saying God is amazing in his creation, we can find God in creation. The miracle of scriptures, you know, the scriptures that we have here today that that we were, that were delivered to us by the guidance of the Holy Spirit working through the church fathers, that we received through blood of the martyrs in the past, that miracle of, of scripture that we received today, written by the finger of God, uh, do, we, do we pause and appreciate those kind of miracles? The miracle of the saints um, and angels around us, the saints in our church, both who have passed away and maybe those who are around here somewhere, that you may be, uh, know yourselves, they can converse or read their writings, converse with them, and come to a greater depth in knowing their Creator. These are some of the miracles that that are around us every day that we sometimes have to pause and just consider it, uh, to, to grow in that depth. Some see miracles and just stand in awe of the miracles. They'll acknowledge the miracle, but they'll stand in awe and they'll just, and that's as far as we go, like when St. Mary appears, they'll just stand there in awe and Zagrat, and they, they won't really embrace what this miracle really means in their lives. Um, many even praise God, but are confused as to what the miracles mean and what they point to. Therefore, the effect of the miracle has little impact on their life. There are some who understand the true meaning, yet still resist the truth of the miracle, because they would need to repent because of it. Even today you will find many, not all, but many, atheists, who deny Christ, not because of the miracles that they see and believe, but because of what the miracle is pointing to, which is a call to purity and a call to carry a cross. And so they'll deny the existence of God, even in the face of miracles, because of that. That call for purity is what a miracle can be pointing to. So it's easier for us to just simply deny God, or these atheists to deny God, rather than look to where the miracle is pointing to. But there are the remaining few who will both stand in awe and wonder at a miracle and look to where the miracle is pointing to and have the courage to actually follow where the miracle is pointing to. Uh, what these miracles mean universally, but also what they mean in our own personal lives. They have the courage and strength to look deeper at what the miracle is, where the miracle is leading us, which is that purity and that greater relationship with God. So let's look at these deeper meanings in these specific miracles. When we read about the miracles that Christ did, it shows one important fact, which is his deep compassion for us. He had deep compassion and love for those who he was bringing healing to. And I'll read you a couple verses. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And when Jesus saw, when, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And in Matthew, he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint along the way. We know at uh, the, the issue of uh, or the death of Lazarus, whom, whom the gospel says he loves very much. 
uh, we know that it's the shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. He wept at the sight of the misery among the people because of the Lazarus, because of the death of Lazarus. In today's reading with the lady uh, who is a widow, she lost her husband, and whose only son now died, it says that he had compassion on her. He had compassion on her situation. So he was very compassionate on a very personal level. But besides the personal level, we can say that he also was having compassion in the sight of sickness and misery and death that came into the world because of sin. When he sees that, he has that compassion and that love for us on a universal level. He was thinking of what affects, what affects everyone, the entire human race. He sees that sin has what sin has done for us and how it's brought us down from that amazing position that God created us in. He created us in a very noble and a very high position that we should all remember. Um, he loves us so much, He gives us great honor. Uh, but sin brings us down. And He wept, and He has compassion um, that is exposed because of the situation that we now find ourselves. It's part of the human experience now. This suffering is part of the human experience. See, he's crying. It's part of that human experience, that misery, right? That God still has compassion and love for us because even though it's our fault that we brought ourselves upon us such misery, he still has compassion for us. And that compassion bursts open the amount of forgiveness and healing that he gives us. Sin separates us from the source of life who has no sin, right? Christ has no sin and we separate ourselves from him because of sin. And thus death and sickness and misery enters into the world and becomes part of that human experience. Sin brought us down from that amazing way he created us in his image. Uh, God places us on that majestic level. He honors us more than anything that the world can ever give us and more than can be described. Uh, it's sin that brings us down. So he wept at that situation. Likewise, we too, we should remember, as a side note, we should remember the compassion that we need to have on each other. <clears throat> um, as St. Peter says in his epistle, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. <clears throat> and also in Luke, Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It may be difficult, though, however, to um, forgive and to show compassion and to show mercy to those, especially those who have wronged us. But it becomes a lot easier when we remember what God has done for us and that mercy and compassion He's shown us. Another thing America can point to is the fact that Christ showed His power over death. If you ask any Christian, can Christ raise somebody from the dead? His answer is yes. <clears throat> but we should really believe this, right? He did so in the Old Testament. We read in the story of Ezekiel how God showed Ezekiel a field of dead bodies and bones that were all over the field. There were human bodies that were scattered all over the field, multitudes and multitudes of them. And when the prophet did so, um, you know, when the prophet did what God commanded him, which is prophecy to the dead bones, he says this, As I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones were come together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered over them. <clears throat> and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Here the word of God raises the dead by his own power, 
for he was the one who created humanity in the first place. So that was also a miracle. Just like the miracle of creation in the first place, the miracle of raising someone from the dead is that same miracle. As St. Cyril of Alexandria says, he who created in the beginning is able again to renew onto incorruption and onto life. <clears throat> Even though we bring ourselves to corruption, God is able to raise us from that corruption. When we uh, speak more on Christ's power, and we will speak more on Christ's power over death uh, in the coming feast, like the Feast of the Resurrection. But one point St. Cyril of Alexandria makes is that our Lord came and touched the coffin with his hands, with his holy, blessed, and life-giving hands. He touched the coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Why was it important to touch the coffin? It was just enough for him to say, like he did in, like in the case of Lazarus, Lazarus come forth and he came forth. In this case, he touched the coffin. It was to emphasize that his body, his body himself, right, is life-giving. That body, when it comes to contact with death, death is abolished. It was accomplished in his own life. It was accomplished in um, the life of this widow's son when he touched the coffin. But it also is for us as well. When we touch that same body, on when we take communion, that body resurrects us again onto life. It's that body that is united to His divinity, therefore it's life-giving. It's We partake of that same body, and we have life in Him because of that. The third thing that America can point to is the resurrection we all look for. If we're not looking for the end of days, the resurrection from the dead and the end of days, we're not practicing full Christianity. It is part of a Christian's thought and a part of a Christian's contemplations is to consider the eternal kingdom, the kingdom that is to come. Uh, this is where our true life begins, right? This is where our rewards are kept for us. This is where the mercy and justice of God will shine forth. This is the true resurrection that unlike the examples that have shown that we read earlier today in the scriptures, those people were resurrected, but they died again. This resurrection will be onto eternal life. So it's the true resurrection. It will be without world without end. This is why uh, at the end of every creed we say, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the coming age. Amen. Looking to that true resurrection, it reminds us that we are sojourners here on earth, that we're just kind of travelers. This is not our home. Uh, we're just visiting. Um, earth is not our home. We Looking there affirms our belief that the dead do indeed rise from the dead and will do so, and those who do so will never die again. It gives us every courage to face whatever challenge we're faced with on this world. Um, looking there also gives us a depth of peace and removes anxiety from us because um, we see that even life's worst challenges and, 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 um, and uh, you know, issues that can pop up in our life, we know that it's temporary. It's like a dark cloud that appears over our lives for a little bit and then disappears after some time. The miracle of today is a pledge, it's a promise of the hope prepared for us at the true resurrection of the dead, which is to come. We know that Christ will perform these things because He promised us, um, and He is the truth. And truth does not ever contradict truth. Truth does not do contrary to itself. And as the prophet Isaiah says, Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise, Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Finally, a miracle 
um, this miracle points to the three stages, uh, this and the other miracles that Christ uh, did among the three people he rose from the dead. We know that he rose three from the dead, right? Uh, the daughter of the synagogue, the, the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue, he raised her when she was still in the house. Today's reading, the daughter of the, uh, the son of the uh, widow, Christ raised that young son as he was traveling to be buried. And then the third one he raised from the dead was Lazarus. Where did Christ raise him? In the, in the actual tomb. After how many days? Four days. So he was actually starting to decay already. His, in the, the, the people around him said there's probably a stench because of the decay. So he was in the tomb for four days and yet still God rose him from the dead. Um, if sin leads us to death, each of the three scenarios shows us the advancement of sin. Uh, this is a nice contemplation by St. Augustine. He raises up the ruler of the synagogue's daughter while she was lying in her house. He raises up, um, so if we think about that, that is the first stage of sin, where sin has entered into our heart. So we know sin comes through the gates of our um, senses, right? So we allow ourselves to see things, to hear things. We say things, these kind of things dwell in our thoughts. And the more we dwell on something, the more our, we gain affection for something, right? When we think about something a lot, we end up loving that thing that we think about a lot. So when we love a, a sin, that sin, therefore, has now gave fruit. It's that first stage of sin when sin enters into our heart. Christ entered to the scene, though, and rose this ruler, this uh, synagogue ruler's daughter from the dead and sin did not have a chance to take root. So when sin knocks on the door, we need to invite Christ into our lives that it does not take root and bring greater death on us because it's still a sin, right? It still brings forth death, but not that greater death that we're about to discuss in a second. And Christ will protect and forgive us and raise us up from that sin, uh, that early sin. Uh, there's a verse that says, O daughters of uh, Zion, blessed is he who takes, daughters of Babylon, blessed is he who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Seems kind of cruel, but these little ones will grow up to be warriors that will attack your countries later. So here we should take that as the little sins that exist in our life while they're still weak. We should attack it and kill it before it grows into what we'll talk about, the second two stages of sin. So the second was the widow's son that we read today. Um, he was being carried to be buried to the tomb and represents sin in a more advanced stage when it actually moves from the heart into action. Okay, Because the things that we've thought about, the things we've seen, we think about. The things we think about goes into our heart. The things that go in our heart reflect in our actions. And so now it's actually given birth to an actually uh, a sin in action. Maybe a sin done once, a sin that has been harbored in our hearts for a long time, and we've actually followed through on it. So when Christ was there, he put his hand on the coffin and stopped those who were delivering it to the tomb, and he raised him from the dead and restored him to his mother. In our lives, we, we have regrets and mistakes that we've done. And however, with repentance and inviting Christ into the scene, we too, like this young uh, man, the widow's son, will be raised from the dead of our sin and return to our mother, which is the church. With repentance and inviting Christ into the scene, he will raise us up from the sins and restore us 
to the pleasant company of our mother, the church, and also to our siblings, the saints. Uh, to not just be here, but to reap the life-giving benefits that our Holy Mother, our Church, has to offer. Then we look at the third stage of sin, which is Lazarus, right? So Lazarus was not only died in a house, but he wasn't, he wasn't just carried to the tomb, but he was buried in the tomb. The rock was put in front. He was in there four days. He was stenching from the decay that happens when one dies. He, rep he represents the impact sin has in our lives to its fullest measure. When sin, not only we've done it once, but now has become habitual. These sins now are part of our personality. It becomes part of who we are because we are what we do. And so these sins that we do habitually becomes that worst, uh, that worst kind of sin. Sins uh, have weighed us down on such a person like the earth that was weighing down Lazarus, right? Um, sin was buried, has buried him and his life begins to stink of decay. So our life begins to kind of stink because of, in a spiritual manner, stinks because of the sins that we've done and now has become part of our everyday routine. For example, those who are entangled in crime, those who are entangled in other immoralities, um, you know, they, they become, it's become habitual and they do it every day. However, we have to say, even here, when Christ entered into the scene, he raises him up and restores him to his siblings, Mary and Martha, his sister, uh, who made deep supplications for him. We may have seen it with our own very eyes, too, that people who have long lived a sinful life have now repented and leading a life of holiness uh, to the best of their ability. People who have been completely habituated in sin, turning and becoming like angels. Uh, so, of sin itself, there are three varieties, in the heart, in deed, and in habit, as it were, three kinds of deaths. One, as it were, in the house, when we consent to lust in the heart. A second, now that we read today, as it were, sin that has been taken outside of the gate, outside of the gates of our heart, and now allows us to sin, um, you know, that first time. And then a third, when the mind is pressed down by the force of bad habit, as if buried by a mound of earth and is now, as it were, like rotting in the tomb. We may be like that, right? We may think of sins that have now, we're like Lazarus. We need somebody to save us from that. And whoever reads the gospel sees that our Lord raises to life all three varieties of the dead. And perhaps one can reflect that the difference may be found in the very word of him who raises them. When he says to one occasion, damsel, I say to you, arise. And on the other, young man, like we read today, young man, I say to you, arise. And on the other, when he groaned in the spirit and again groaned a second time in the spirit, then cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. There is no failure in our ever victorious Lord Jesus Christ when he's invited to take charge in our life. Even when sin has completely buried us, he will bring victory in the same place where there was once defeat. <coughs> he will restore us to the Father of us all, to our mother, the church, with his, and he will restore us to the body of Christ, to our siblings, to the angels, to the prophets, to the saints, to the martyrs, to the fathers who have been making deep supplication for us because they love us. So may our Lord Jesus Christ also touch us and raise us from the death of evil, works that may have uh, taken root of our life um, and made it habitual. 
uh, and may unite us to the assemblies of the saints. To him be glory forever. Amen.